Chapter thirty two of Darnley by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty two. How blessed am I by such a man led, under whose wise and careful guardship I now despise fatigue and hardship. As soon as they were out of reach of immediate annoyance, the knight reined in his horse and turned to see if Schoenvelt showed any symptoms of an inclination to follow but all was now quiet the gates were shut the drawbridge was raised and not even an archer to be seen upon the walls sir osborne's eye however ran over tower and bartizan and wall and battlement with so keen and searching a glance that if any watched him in his progress it must have been from the darkest loophole in the castle to escape the notice of his eye satisfied at length with his scrutiny he again pursued his journey down the steep descent into the vast plains of flanders and turned his horse towards mount castle giving longpole an account as he went of the honourable plans and purposes of the good count of schoenvelt odds life my lord said longpole let us go into that part of the world too if we could but get a good stout fellow or two to our back we might disconcert them i fear they are too many for us replied the knight though it seems that schoenvelt avaricious of all he can get and afraid that aught should slip through his hands has divided his men into tens and twelves so that a few spears well led might do a great deal of harm amongst them at all events longpole we will buy a couple of lances at castle for we may yet chance to meet with some of schoenvelt's followers on our road conversing of their future proceedings they now mounted the steep ascent of mount castle and approached the gate of the town the iron grate of which to their surprise was slowly pushed back in their faces as they rode up ho soldier why do you shut the gate cried sir osborne don't you see we are coming in no you are not replied the other who was a stiff old hainauter looking as rigid and intractable as the iron jack that covered his shoulders none of schoenvelt's plunderers come in here but we are neither friends nor plunderers of schoenvelt's said the knight we are his enemies and have just made our escape from st hubert's ah a fine tale a fine tale replied the soldier through the barred gate which he continued slowly and imperturbably to fasten against them we saw you come down the hill but you don't step in here to-night so you had better ride away before the captain sends down to make you we all know that you can lie as well as rob by my life if i were in i'd split your morium for you said the knight enraged at the cool nonchalance of the hainauter doubtless replied he in the same sort of indifferent snuffling tone doubtless you look like it and that's one reason why i shall keep you out sir osborne wasted no more words on the immovable old pikeman but angrily turning his horse began to descend the hill a little way down the steep there was even then as now a small hamlet serving as a sort of suburb to the town above and towards this the knight took his way pausing to gaze every now and then on the vast interminable plain that lay stretched at his feet spread over which he could see a thousand cities and villages all filled with their own little interests and feelings wherein he had no part nor sympathy and a thousand roads leading away to them 
in every direction without any one to guide his choice or to tell him on which he might expect prosperity or disaster to air said he after he had thought for some time we will go to air i hear that the count de ligny whom i fought at isson is there and the chevalier bayard and many other gallant knights and gentlemen who perhaps may welcome me amongst them is not that the smoke of a forge longpole perhaps we may find an armourer let us see as the knight had imagined so it proved and on their demanding two strong lances the armourer soon brought them forward a bundle of stiff ash-staves bidding them choose after some examination to ascertain the soundness of the wood their choice was made and the fleming proceeded to adjust to the smaller end of each two hands-breadths of pointed iron which being fastened and clenched the knight and his follower paid the charge and taking possession of their new weapons rode away directing their course towards haysbrook in their way to air their progress now became necessarily slow for though both horses were powerful in limb and joint and trained to carry great burdens and endure much fatigue yet the weight of a heavy iron bard together with that of a tall strong man armed at all points was such that in a long journey it of course made itself felt evidently perceiving by the languor of his motions that the charger which bore him was becoming greatly wearied sir osborne ceased to urge him and proposed to stop for the evening at the very first village that could boast of an inn nevertheless it was some time before they met with such a one most of the hamlets on the road being too poor and insignificant to require or possess anything of the kind at length however a small neat house with a verdant holly-bush over the door invited their steps and entering sir osborne was saluted heartily by the civil host who with brandished knife and snowy bib was busily engaged in cooking various savoury messes for any guest that providence might send him some specimens of his handiwork were placed before the knight and longpole as soon as their horses had been taken care of and an excellent bottle of old wine together with some fatigue induced them to linger a little at the table the lattice which was open looked out across the road to the little village green where was to be seen many a schoolboy playing in the fine may evening and mocking in his childish sports the sadder doings of the grown-up children of the day here horsed upon their fellows backs were two that acted the part of knights tilting each other with broomsticks and there marshalled in fair order by a youthful captain marched a body of young lansquenets advancing and retreating wheeling and charging with no small precision sir osborne watched them for a while in somewhat of a moralizing mood till his musing was disturbed by the trotting of a horse past the window and in a moment after he heard the good-humoured voice of the host addressing the person who arrived ah master frederick he said what back again so soon i told you you would soon be tired of soldiering nay nay reginald answered a voice that sir osborne thought he had heard before i am not tired of soldiering and never shall be but i am tired of consorting with a horde of plunderers for such are schoenvelt and all his followers but while i leave my horse to the stable get me something to eat good reginald for i do not want to go back to the hall till i have dented my sword at least what are you going to it again 
cried the host stay at home master frederick stay at home take care of the house your father has left you if you are not so rich as the baron you have enough and that is better than riches if one knew it my father was a soldier answered the young man and distinguished himself and so will i before i sit down in peace here the conversation ceased and the host entering the room in which sat the knight and his follower began to lay out one of the small tables with which it was furnished that is as good a youth said he addressing sir osborne while he proceeded with his preparations that is as good a youth as ever breathed if he had not taken this fit of soldiering his father was a younger brother of old count ultiman and after many years service came to our village and bought a piece of ground where he built a house your worship may see it from here over the side of the hill with the wood behind it he has been dead now a year and his wife near three and so master frederick there must needs go soldiering they say it is all love for the baron's daughter but here he comes as he spoke the young man entered the room presenting to sir osborne as he had expected the face of the youth who had been sent by schoenvelt to welcome him on his arrival at the castle an ingenuous blush overspread the young hainalter's countenance when he saw sir osborne and taking his seat at the table prepared for him he turned away his head and began his meal in silence had you not better take off your corselet master frederick demanded the host no no reginald replied the youth i do not know that i shall stay here all night never mind give me some wine and leave me thus repulsed the innkeeper withdrew and sir osborne continued to watch the young soldier who whether it was a feeling of shame at meeting the knight and degradation at having been made even in a degree a party to schoenvelt's attempt to deceive him or whether it was bitterness of spirit at returning to his native place unsuccessful seemed to have his heart quite full and it appeared to be with pain that he ate the food which was placed before him sir osborne could feel for disappointed hopes and after regarding him for a moment or two in silence he crossed the room and laid his hand upon his shoulder the young man turned round with a flushed cheek hardly knowing whether from anger at the familiarity to vent the feelings of his heart or to take it in good part and strive to win the esteem of a man whom he had been taught to admire but there was a frankness in the knight's manner and a noble kindness of intent in his look that soon removed all doubt so young gentleman said he you have left count schoenvelt's company i thought you were not made to stay long amongst them but say was it with his will i stayed not to ask my lord replied the young man i was bound to schoenvelt in no way and the moment the gates were opened after you were gone i rode out and came away sir osborne shook his head when a soldier engages with a commander said he his own will and pleasure must not be the terms of his service but of all things he ought not to quit his leader's banner without giving notice that he intends to do so but thank god cried the young hainalter i had not yet taken service with schoenvelt he wanted to swear me to it as he does the rest but i would not do so till i saw more of him and of his plans and so i told him that makes the matter very different replied the knight with a smile 
I am heartily glad to hear it, for I dare pronounce him a traitorous ruffian, and no true knight. But one more question, young sir, if I urge not your patience. How came you to seek Shernvelt at first, who never bore a high renown but as a marauder? The youth hesitated. It matters not, sir knight, replied he, after a moment's pause, to you or to any one, what reasons I might have to seek renown as speedily as possible, and why the long, tedious road to knighthood and to fame, first as page, and then as squire, and then as man-at-arms, was such as I could not bear, but so it was, and as Schoenvelt gave out that he had high commissions from the emperor, and was to do great deeds, I hoped that with him I might find speedy means of signalising myself. After being two days at the castle, I discovered that his whole design was plunder, which was not the way to fame, and this morning he made me deliver you a message, which I knew to be a falsehood, which was not the road to honour. So I determined to leave him, and as the spearmen are always dropping out of the castle by five or six at a time to go down to the frontier, I soon found the means of getting away. "'Yours is an error, my good youth,' said Sir Osborne, "'which I am afraid we are all wont to entertain in the first heat of our early days. But we soon find that the road to fame is hard and difficult of access, and that it requires time and perseverance and labour and strength even to make a small progress therein. Those who, with a gay imagination, fancy they have made themselves wings to fly up to the top soon, like the Cretan of old, sear their pinions in the sun, and drop into the sea of oblivion. However, are you willing to follow a poor knight who, though he cannot promise either fame or riches, will lead you at least in the path of honour? The enthusiastic youth caught the knight's hand, and kissed it with inexpressible delight. "'What, follow you?' cried he. "'Follow the Lord Darnley, the knight of Burgundy, whose single arm maintained the bridge at Beauvigne, against the bravest of the Duke of Alençon's horse? Ay, that I will. Follow him through the world. Do you hear that, Reginald? he cried to the innkeeper, who now entered. Do you hear that? Instead of the base Jernvelt, I am going to follow the noble Lord of Darnley, who was armed a knight by the Emperor himself. The honest innkeeper congratulated Master Frederick heartily upon the exchange, for the knight was now in that part of the country where his name, if not his person, was well known. And in that age, the fame of gallant actions and of noble bearing spread rapidly through all ranks, and gained the meed of applause from men whom we might suppose little capable of appreciating it. All preliminaries were speedily arranged, and the next morning Sir Osborne set out by dawn for the small town of Haysbrook, which lay at about two leagues' distance, where he took care to furnish his new follower with a lance and several pieces of defensive armour that were wanting to his equipment, and then to ascertain what reliance might be placed on his support in case of emergency. He excited him to practice various military exercises with himself as they rode along towards air. To his no small surprise and pleasure, he found that the young Hainauter, though somewhat rash and hasty, was far more skilful in the use of his weapons and the management of his horse than he could have conceived, and with such an addition to his party he no longer scrupled to cast himself in the way of some of Schoenvelt's bodies of marauders. To keep his hand in, as Longpole quaintly expressed it, 
when he heard his lord's determination. "'Come, Frederick,' said the knight, "'I will not go on to air, as I had determined, but, in order to gratify your wish for renown, we will lie about on the frontier like true errant knights of old, at any village or other place where we may find shelter, and if we meet with Schoenvelt, or any of his, mind you do honour to your arms. We shall always have the odds of eight or nine against us. No, no, sir knight, cried the young soldier, do not believe that. It is one of his falsehoods. There are not above ten in any of the bands, and most of them are five or six. I know where most of them lie. Hush, hush, cried Sir Osborne, raising his finger. You must tell me nothing, so that, if you should chance to break a lance with him, your hand may not tremble at thinking you have betrayed his counsel. Nay, do not blush, Frederick. A man who aspires to chivalry must guide himself by stricter rules than other men. It was for this I spoke. Here is the fair river Lys, if I remember right. It is so, sir knight, replied the other. There is a bridge about a mile lower down. What, for a brook like this? cried Sir Osborne, spurring his horse in. Oh, no, we will swim it. Follow. The young Hainaulter's horse did not like the plunge, and shied away from the brink. Spur him in, spur him in, cried Longpole. If our lord reaches the other bank first, he will never forgive us. He swims like an otter himself, and fancies that his squires ought to be water-rats by birthright. "'Down with the left rein!' cried the knight, turning as his horse swam, and seeing the situation of his young follower. "'Give him the spur, bring him to a demi-vault, and he must in!' As the knight said, at the second movement of the demi-vault, the horse's feet were brought to the very brink of the river, and a slight touch of the mullet made him plunge over so that, though somewhat embarrassed with his lance in the water, Frederick soon reached the other bank in safety. One of the beautiful Flemish meadows, which still in many parts skirt the bank of the Lys, presented itself on the other side, and, beyond that, a forest that has long since known the rude touch of the heavy axe, which, like some fell enchanter's wand, has made so many of the loveliest woods in Europe disappear, without leaving a trace behind. The one we speak of was then in its full glory, sweeping along with a rich undulating outline by the side of the soft green plain that bordered the river, sometimes advancing close to the very brink, as if the giant trees of which it was comprised ought to contemplate their grandeur in the watery mirror, sometimes falling far away and leaving a wide open space between itself and the stream covered with thick, short grass, and strewed with the thousand flowers wherewith nature's liberal hand has fondly decorated her favourite spring. Every here and there, too, the wood itself would break away, discovering a long glade penetrating into the deepest recesses of its bosom, filled with the rich, mellow forest light that, streaming between every aperture, chequered the green, mossy path below and showed a long perspective of vivid light and shade as far as the eye could reach. It was up one of these that Sir Osborne took his way, willing to try the mettle of his new follower, and to initiate him into the trade war by a few of its first hardships and dangers. Doubting not that Schoenvelt had taken advantage of that forest, situated as it was between Lille and Aire, to post at least one party of his men therein. From what the youth had let drop, 
as well as from what he had himself observed the knight was led to believe that the adventurer had greatly magnified the number of his forces and he also concluded that to avoid suspicion he had divided his men into very small troops except on such points as he expected the king of france himself to pass and even there sir osborne did not doubt that thirty men would be the extent of any one body francis's habit of riding almost unattended with the fearless confidence natural to his character being but too well known on the frontier to meet with schoenvelt himself and if possible to disappoint his schemes of plunder was now the knight's castle in the air and though the numbers of his own party were so scanty he felt the sort of confident assurance in his own courage his own strength and his own skill which is ever worth a host of moments in danger longpole he was also sure would be no inefficient aid and though the young hainaulter might not be their equal in experience or skill sir osborne did not fear that in time of need his enthusiastic courage and desire to distinguish himself would make him more than a match for one of schoenvelt's company under these circumstances the knight would never have hesitated to attack a body of double or perhaps treble his own number and yet he resolved to proceed cautiously endeavouring in the first place to inform himself of the situation of schoenvelt's various bands and to ascertain which that marauder was likely to join himself wilston having let drop that he and the count as the two leaders of their whole force were to set out the next morning sir osborne saw that no time was to be lost in reconnoitring the ground in order to ascertain the real strength of the adventurers he resolved therefore to take every means to learn their numbers and if he found the amount more formidable than he imagined to risk nothing with so few but to provide for the king's safety by giving notice to the garrison of air that the monarch was menaced by danger and then to aid with his own hand in ridding the frontier of such dangerous visitors though he felt a great degree of reluctance to share with any one an enterprise full of honourable danger it was likewise necessary to ascertain where francis i was for schoenvelt might have been deceived or the king might have already quitted the frontier or he might be accompanied by a sufficient escort to place his person in security or in short a thousand circumstances might have happened which would render the enterprise of the adventurers abortive and his own interference unnecessary if not impertinent revolving all these considerations in his mind sometimes proceeding in silence sometimes calling upon his companions for their opinion sir osborne took his way up one of the deep glades of the forest still keeping a watchful ear to every sound that stirred in the wood so that not a note of the thrush or the blackbird nor the screaming of a jay nor the rustle of a rabbit escaped him and yet nothing met his ear which might denote that there were other beings hid beneath those green boughs besides themselves and the savage tenants of the place the stag the wild boar and the wolf the deep ruts formed by heavy woodcarts in the soft mossy carpet of the glade told that the route they were pursuing was one which most probably communicated with some village or some other road of greater thoroughfare and after following it for about a mile they perceived that now joined to another exactly similar to itself it wound away to the left leaving nothing but a small bridle-way before them 
which sir osborne judged must lead to some spot where the wood had been cleared as their horses were now rather fatigued and the full sun shining upon the forest rendered its airless paths very oppressive the knight chose the little path before him hoping it would lead to a more open space where they might repose for a while and at the same time keep a watch upon the roads they had just quitted his expectations were not deceitful for after having proceeded about two hundred yards they came to a little grassy mound in the wood which in former times might have monumented the field of some gallic or roman victory piled up above the bones of the mighty dead even now though the forest had grown around and girt it in on every side the trees themselves seemed to hold it in reverence leaving it and even some space around it free from their grasping roots except indeed where a group of idle hawthorns had gathered impudently on its very summit flaunting their light blossoms in the sun and spreading their perfume on the wind it was the very spot suited to sir osborne's purpose and dismounting the three travellers leaned their lances against the trees and letting their horses pick a meal from the forest grass prepared to repose themselves under the shadow of the thorns previous to casting himself down upon the bank however the knight took care to examine the wood around them and seeing a sort of yellow light shining between the trees beyond he pursued his way along what seemed a continuation of the little path which had brought them thither proceeding in a slanting direction apparently to avoid the boles of some enormous beeches it did not lead on for above ten or twelve yards and then opened out into a high road cut through the very wildest part of the forest at a spot where an old stone cross and fountain of clear water commemorated the philanthropy of some one long dead and offered the best of nature's gifts to the lip of the weary traveller sir osborne profited by the occasion and communicated his discovery to his companions who took advantage of it to satisfy their thirst also then they lay down in the shade of the hawthorns on the mound and after some brief conversation the heat of the day so overpowered the young haynorter that he fell asleep such an example was never lost upon longpole who soon resigned himself to the drowsy god and sir osborne was left the only watcher of the party whether from his greater bodily powers on which fatigue made but little impression or from deeper feelings and thoughts that would not rest sleep came not near his eyelids and lying at his ease in the fragrant air a thousand busy memories came thronging through his brain recalling love and hope and joy and teaching to believe that all might yet be his while thus indulging waking visions he thought he heard a distant horn and listening the same sound was again borne upon the wind from some part of the forest it was however no warlike note but evidently proceeded from the horn of some huntsman who as sir osborne concluded from the time of the year was chasing the wolf to whom no season gives repose falling back into the position from which he had risen to listen sir osborne had again given himself up to thought when he was once more roused by the sound of voices and the trampling of horses feet on the road hard by rising silently without disturbing his companions he glided part of the way down the path leading to the fountain and paused amid some oaks and shrubs 
through the leaves of which he could observe what passed on the highway without being seen himself nearly opposite to the cross already mentioned appeared two horsemen one of whom allowed his beast to drink where the water gurgling over the basin of the fountain formed a little streamlet across the road while the other held in his rein about a pace behind as if waiting with some degree of respect for his companion as soon as the horse raised its head the first cavalier turned round and presented to sir osborne's view a fine and princely countenance whose every feature whose every glance bespoke a generous and noble spirit in complexion the stranger was of a deep tanned brown with his eyes his hair and his mustachio nearly black his brow was broad and clear his eyes were large and full though shaded by the dark eyelashes that overhung them his nose was straight and perhaps somewhat too long while his mouth was small and would have been almost too delicate had it not been for a certain marked curl of the upper lip which gave it an expression not of haughtiness nor of sternness but of grave condescending dignity his dress was a rich hunting suit which might well become a nobleman of the day consisting of a green pawpoint laced with gold and slashed on the breast long white hose half covered his boots and a short green cloak not descending to his horse's back his hat was of velvet and the broad brim slightly turned up round it and cut in various places so as somewhat to resemble a moral crown while from the front thrown over to the back fell a splendid plume of ostrich feathers which almost reached his shoulder his only arms appeared to be a dagger in his girdle and a long heavy sword which hung from his shoulder in a baldric of cloth of gold the other stranger was habited nearly like the first very little difference existing either in the fashion or the richness of their apparel both also were tall and vigorous men and both were in the prime of their days but the countenance of the second was very different from that of his companion in complexion he was fair with small blue eyes and rather sandy hair nor would he have been otherwise than handsome had it not been for a certain narrowness of brow and wideness of mouth which gave a gaunt and eager expression to his face totally opposed to the grand and open countenance of the other as we have said when his horse had done drinking the first traveller turned towards the spot where sir osborne stood and seemed to listen for a moment at length he said hear you the hunt now count william no your highness replied the other it has swept away towards air then sir replied the first we are alone and drawing his sword from the scabbard he laid it level before his companion's eyes continuing abruptly what think you of that blade is it not a good one at the same time he fixed his eye upon him with a firm remarking glance as if he would have read into his very soul the other turned as pale as death and faltered something about its being a most excellent weapon then continued the first i will ask you sir count should it not be a bold man who knowing the goodness of this sword and the strength of this arm and the stoutness of this heart would yet attempt anything against my life however count william of furstenberg let me tell you that should there be such a man in this kingdom and should he find himself alone with me in a wild forest like this and fail to make the attempt he meditated i should look upon him as a coward as well as traitor 
and fool as well as villain and his dark eye flashed as if it would have struck him to the ground count william faltered trembled and attempted to reply but his speech failed him and striking his hand against his forehead he shook his bridle rein dug his spurs into his horse's sides and darted down the road like lightning slave cried the other as he marked him go cowardly slave and turning his horse without further comment he rode slowly on the other way End of chapter thirty two